so Easter morning, and how many of you have done, did you do something for Lent, or did you, have you been reading Easter, you know, devotions or readings? How many of you have kind of been contemplating the season of Easter? Or how many of you have really honestly just been too busy to even wrap your head around, this is coming, and here it is, and now it's arrived, and it's like coming in on two hot, two wheels, hot and sideways? Um, so... I think with Easter season, we tend to um, focus on certain phrases. That's one thing that we do. We, we focus on the torture of the cross. That's a common refrain. Uh, not my personal favorite, but a common one. And then we, we tend to focus on phrases of the cross. Um, te, the, I'm going to say it wrong, but tetelestai, which means... It is finished. We love that one uh, and, and truly love that one. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was one of the phrases. Um, Today you will be with me in paradise. That was one of the phrases that we heard him speak on the cross. Uh, Woman, behold your son. And, and, and John, behold your mother. That was one of the phrases that Christ spoke when he was on the cross. And then there was, into your hands I commit my spirit. He prayed, and, and then he died. So there seems, though, to me to be one that's less mentioned, less contemplated. Uh, at least this has been my personal experience, and it comes in John 19, verse 28. After Jesus had seen to his mother's future care, which is the paragraph preceding, then we read this in John 19, 28. After this, Jesus realizing that by this time, everything was completed said in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. I thirst. Some of your translations will say, I thirst. And your translation should have an exclamation point after that. I thirst. Two short words. It wasn't a whisper because scripture says that there is an exclamation point following those two short one-syllable words. Jesus didn't simply state his need. He exclaimed it. He exclaimed, I thirst. (coughs) Why is this significant to me? I think it's significant to me because this is a God that we can relate to. We understand thirst, don't we? Have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever just truly been like parched and you don't have water? Like where you're like, man, I just need a bottle of water. Or there's been a few times when, well, this happens a lot to me actually, but I'll be like in the car and I'm like scrounging under the floorboard looking for a a water bottle that somehow has miraculously fallen underneath there with two sips left that is going to satisfy me until I can get home and get an actual drink. But I am a, I'm a drinker. I, I drink a lot of water. And so I, there's nothing worse to me than not having water with me. I always am going to have a bottle of water or some sort of a drink somewhere, always. I don't like not having water. We can relate to being thirsty. This is something that we understand. And so while it is finished, and Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and into thy hands I commit my spirit. While these are powerful, and I love to look at them and unpack them and think about the ramifications of what they mean for us, particularly it is finished. I mean, that to me is just one of my favorite sentences in all of Scripture. I do find myself particularly drawn to this statement, I thirst. In these two short words, we see Jesus in his humanity. He hangs there, right? He's pinned to a cross, a tree of Roman torture by some crude iron nail that was forged by human hands. 
his body is bleeding and exposed. Perhaps his in most intimate parts are exposed. We don't know. We see images and there's like a little cloth over his his midsection, but we don't know if that's actually accurate. I can't imagine, you know, at my age, being hung naked on a tree for the world to see. That would be just the ultimate humiliation. Um, what's worse, when I think about my sons and their humiliation, if I was to witness that, and this is what he experienced with his mother being right there, I know for them that would be worse than it would be for me to have to see. They would not want me. They don't ever want me to, to see anything traumatic. They're so protective of me, and I'm sure Christ felt this way of his mother. Um, you know, we bought this little house that we've been renovating, and Court and Jeff were working there on Friday. And um, Court found, this is horrific, he found a mummified cat. I don't know how else to say it, like, uh, in the attic. <coughs> totally... No, I, I mean, somehow the cat found its way into the attic and couldn't get out and, and, and met its demise in the attic of this home. And there's nothing like, there's no scent or anything like that. It was just literally like this, God bless this poor cat. It laid down and it, it gave up its life. It couldn't, couldn't find a way out. It was just so sad to me. Anyway, so accidentally, Corton, I, I happened to see this on his phone and immediately I'm like, what is that? You know, and he's like, no, 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 mom, mom. He's trying to get his phone back for me and not let me see it. Not let me see it. He doesn't want me to see that. doesn't ever want me to experience any type of discomfort. And, and I say that as kind of gross and, ooh, but I say that because that was a mummified cat. Can you imagine if, if Corton or Nate experienced what Christ experienced? how they would not want me to see that. And so I think that to me is probably the worst torture for Christ over the physical. Um, So he's there pinned to a cross, vulnerable. Um, His mother bears witness to a wrongful sentence, a torturous death. And in his divinity, he has seen to everyone. So let's consider this. In his divinity, he has seen to everyone. He saw to the sinner, right? He hangs there. He's there. He's completing the work that God gave him to do. He's accomplishing salvation for all mankind, ultimate sacrifice. So he is seen to the sinner and it would soon be finished, as he would say. He saw to his father's glory. Only a God worthy of all could demand the price of his son's life, right? And he hangs there, proof that God is indeed worthy. John 17, 4 tells us, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. He saw to his mother, right? She'll be cared for by John. He saw to the accusers and those who crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He saw to the thief who hung beside him and said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. But then John 19 tells us that once he saw these things were completed, he acknowledged his humanity. In his divinity, he did all that he was to do. But in his humanity, then he said, I thirst. Only a human can thirst. God does not thirst. God is a source of hydration. It was an honest need and one he could not meet for himself. Don't miss that. He could meet it miraculously, but in his humanity, he could not meet it. His hands were stapled to splintered wood. He couldn't pick up a drink, even if someone was to hand it to him. The sun's high, it's sweltering. 
the time of day is late. Dehydration was surely already real. He'd already carried this cross through the city streets and been beaten. His body is bleeding. Death is definitely imminent. We know that. His need was real and it was fully felt. We can learn from this Jesus. Not just from his divinity, from his perfection as God. And this is where I think we tend to focus. We tend to look at God in his divinity and aspire to that. And scripture tells us, as Christ's children, clothe yourselves. As dearly loved children, clothe yourselves in Christ-like attributes. Manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So we understand that. But what about this humanity? We can learn not just from his divinity, from his perfection as God, but from his perfection as a human. Because if he is God, then he was perfect as a human, where you and I are not. And so let's don't miss that. A perfect human acknowledged his need. Let's don't miss that. He reveals to us many things that we should take to heart. As God, he met needs and he ministered. But don't forget, as a human, he took time to get away to quiet places and pray. And here we see him complete the work of salvation and then ask for a drink. He acknowledged his need. He would have known the process of crucifixion having lived in and among this culture for over 30 years, right? He would have understood how it all worked. So he would have known that the scripture tells us there was a jar full of sour wine and they put a sponge soaked in sour wine on a branch of hyssop and lifted it to his mouth. He would have known that there was some form of drink available. And so they put this sour wine, some people say it's vinegar, we don't know what it was exactly, but they stuck it on a, on a branch and then they lifted it to his mouth. So not only did our Savior thirst, but he allowed other people to meet that need. This is why I wanted to talk to us about this this morning. I think we tend as Christians to focus at Easter on everything that, that is done for us, accomplished for us through the work of salvation and the fact that we get to live and we do get to live and we live abundantly. But I often think that what we, what we tend to take away is that because he lives, we can, and then we fill in the blank. And we miss that his life also was an example for us. He was perfectly human. And so the behaviors and the ways in which he accomplished living as a human, how he responded to anger, how he responded to untruth, how he responded to needs, how he responded to his own needs, those are a model for us if we want to figure out what it means to be perfectly human now, where we live as humans on earth, not in heaven yet, not glorified yet. So not only did our Savior thirst, but he allowed others to meet that need. And there's a lot to take from this. Do you thirst? Here's permission granted to acknowledge that human fact. We often talk of how his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You guys know that's one of my life verses. We talk about how our God shall supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But what about this? As a human with divine power available... With the riches of heaven available, Jesus himself allowed another human to meet his need for drink. Name your needs, human. He named his. Don't deny them. We tend to think, oh, well, I should be okay. I should be able to handle my needs. I should be able to 
manage my, my needs because His divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. Name your needs. Don't deny them. Don't squelch them. Don't cover them up. Don't pretend they aren't important. Insist that they should be less of a priority. These are things that Christians do, right? We tend to, we tend to say, well, yeah, I know I'm exhausted, but I'm going to keep going because Jesus would meet this ministry need. I know I'm, I know I'm, um, I'm weary, but it's okay because his divine power will give me everything I need. We don't want to deny our humanity. If we deny our humanity, then we deny exactly how God chose to create us. He did not create us as angels. He didn't create us as divine beings or many gods. He created us human, finite. And those needs are arrows that point us ultimately to him. So, Jesus said, I thirst. He acknowledged his human need, and we don't want to miss that. And here's something interesting. If our needs are an honest need, it is okay to name them. The scripture tells us in verse 30 of chapter 19 that Jesus received the sour wine. Let's read that here. When he had received the sour wine, verse 30 says, Jesus said, it is completed. And then he bowed his head and gave us his spirit, gave up his spirit. The last act of Christ on earth, this is fascinating, was a receiving act. The Christ who gave his life as a ransom for many, the very last act that he accomplished was a receiving act. If receiving is good enough for Christ in his humanity, then it should be good enough for us in our humanity. When he received the sour wine, he said it is completed and gave up his spirit. So we talk about passages like Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given back to you good measure, shaken down, pressed together and running over. And we emphasize the giving of that passage. We should give. And and the ratio in which we get back will be the ratio to which we have given out. So we should be givers, generous givers. We we that's the sermon in that passage, right? But what about this? It's given back. It's given back and if it's given back then we have to be able to receive. And I just want us to understand this morning when we walk away from Easter this year that Christ in his humanity received And we, too, need to learn to receive. When we refuse to receive, deny our need, pretend that we don't have human needs, I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about emotional, mental. When we deny those things, we are operating outside of God's intent for creation. Okay? And we will not be fulfilled, and we will not be at peace. Anytime we operate outside of God's intent for creation, we lack peace. And we will enter into a world where there's strife and struggle. Galatians 6.2 is another one. It instructs us, bear one another's burdens, implying that we have burdens and that we will need to help, ba- help bearing them. We tend to think, if I read bear one another's burdens, that I go looking for somebody's burden that I can carry. We need to understand that there's going to be times that it assumes we have a burden that we will need help carrying. So why does this particular point of the crucifixion account permeate my thoughts today and recently? 
I think because we are not yet resurrected, nor are we yet glorified. We remain encased in human frames. Psalm 103.14 says, For he knows how we are formed. He is mindful that we are made of dust. And it was he who made us of dust, not divine. While our flesh, in a spiritual sense, is, yes, something that we should mortify. And we talk about the mortification of the flesh. In a physical sense, our humanity is not to be despised. The case in which we are contained, our physical makeup, our emotional makeup, our chemical makeup, it was knit by a sovereign and perfect God, and it was knit with need. Different for all of us, but knit with need. Yet, I think we often despise our humanity. And I'd just like us to to return to the reality that a sovereign flawless creator formed us and sovereignly said they'll be human they won't be divine now this is interesting we hear the crow of the rooster i was listening to the rooster my rooster this morning you know we got a rooster a while back and um i'm waiting for we're gonna get babies going to get babies. But I hear that rooster in the morning and, and he's a good rooster. He doesn't overcrow. He doesn't undercrow, but he crows. And so I get to hear him and I love our little rooster. He's so handsome and he's so pretty. He's the best looking thing you've ever seen. I swear he's better looking than Jeff, but he crows. And when I hear him crow, I always, because I grew up in church, the, the crowing of a rooster hearkens to the Easter account. When Jesus looked at Peter and said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. We hear the crow of the rooster and we're reminded of our human failures. We we hear that account of Peter and uh, we could could look at at Peter and tell him, well, Jesus looked at Peter, right? And he said, you know, you'll chop an ear off for me because he did in the garden but you'll also deny me. And when we hear the, when you hear the crowing of a rooster, know that you'll have denied me three times. But because Jesus understood our humanity, this precludes us from divine responses and qualifies us for the salvation that he came to accomplish. Peter wasn't divine. He was impulsive. He chopped an ear off and he denied Christ. So we read about that and we think, don't be like Peter. Well, what else could Peter do? He was human. He didn't have the Holy Spirit in him yet. He responded completely humanly. The rooster's cry is not a scathing indictment on Peter's sin. It is the ancient cry of the created, calling to the completely qualified Savior to finish his work. And that's what Easter is. It's the reminder that comes at the dawn of every new day when the rooster crows. You are human this morning. When you wake up, you're human made of dust, you, but you've been ransomed, you've been rescued, you've been redeemed, you're being renewed, and one day you will be resurrected with Christ and then made like him. Then you will know him fully, even as you are fully known. Then, not now. So don't demand, and I say this carefully, do not expect resurrected divinity from a human frame. You don't have your resurrected body yet. And I mean that physically, but I also mean that spiritually. I'm not saying walk in sin. That's not what I'm saying, so don't mishear me. I'm not saying walk according to your flesh. 
and and say, well, I'm dust, so that's my excuse. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this, you are not divine. You have real needs, just as Christ did. And if Christ can say, I thirst, then you also need to learn to name your needs. When you deny them, you prevent God from meeting them. And if his name is Jehovah Jireh, and he says his name is Jehovah Jireh, then his intent is to provide for us in all things. So we tend to think that means financially. He's going to pay for my college bill and he's going to pay for my mortgage. That's what we tend to think. He'll provide the bills for the groceries. But we miss that his name is simply Jehovah Jireh and there's no qualifications for what that means, the avenue for which he will provide. But God's intent is to provide for humanity's needs. Now, the channel through which he does it is often another human. And when we refuse to admit our needs, I'm hurting, I'm suffering, I'm alone. Mental illness is causing me to struggle and I need support. I physically need money, I can't pay my car loan. I'm sick and I need encouragement because my body is weak. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Whatever your needs are when we don't acknowledge them, we prevent ultimately God from choosing, from providing for us and we prevent the avenue through which he would choose to do it. So one day, and until that day, the rooster will crow and we will thirst. One day, we won't anymore. But now, the rooster still crows every morning. My little rooster, he does a good job of that. He keeps on calling. And that's a reminder, Sarah, you're a human. And you're going to thirst. Here's what's fascinating. Sin at its core is just this. It's an insistence on meeting our own needs another way. It's a demand that we make when we deny God's adequate provision and the channel through which he would offer his provision. That's what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve thought they could find another route, maybe a better route to divinity. Ultimately, right? They wanted to be like God. So they thought, well, we'll try this fruit, see how that works for us. That might be better than the path that God has chosen for us. That's sin. Sin is when we deny that God is the provider and we choose to go at it our own way. Here's another thing. Let me say this. I said God is Jehovah Jireh. And I said when we deny him the opportunity, when we deny our needs, we deny him the opportunity to meet our needs and be who he is in our lives. I should say this as well. Should he not address our need, then there is this. Our need was not meant to be met. Here's what's fascinating about Christ on the cross. He did say, I thirst. He did not say, I need a bandage. Or I need triple antibiotic ointment for my back. Or I need stitches. Did he? He didn't even say, I need someone to get me down. Because that was not God's purpose for him. And those needs were not intended to be met. And in his perfect humanity and also divinity, he understood that those needs were not intended to be met. But he could ask for comfort as he fulfilled the purpose of God for his life. And that's where I think we tend to have a problem. We are willing to go the distance for God. This is the choir I'm speaking to in this room. We're willing. I'm looking at at Marissa and she's back home. Welcome home. Willing to go overseas. I'm looking at Megan, 
thought she was maybe going to get to go overseas. And God said, my purpose for you now is to be Peter's wife and land here in Blairsville, Georgia, not overseas. And I'm looking at Anna, a mother, raising children, women in this room walking in the purposes that God intended in advance for them to walk in. Your needs will be met according to God's purpose for your life. And those needs that are not met are not met because you have a God who's unkind and unaware and distant, but because he will meet the needs which will bring him ultimate glory. So Christ didn't ask for a bandage. He didn't ask for triple antibiotic ointment. He never requested God meet a need that prevented God's glory or plan from coming to to fruition. God had willed him to die. He asked only for that which would comfort him in the process of full surrender to the will of God. God's not an ATM machine, and we know that. He has a sovereign purpose and plan, and we can name our need with the understanding that he alone is the source of its provision. And should he choose to provide through vinegar on a sponge, so be it. And should he choose to stay his hand, then we can let the need die because in dying, we have the promise always of life. And Christ is the ultimate example of that. John 12, 24, we talked about this at Night of Hope if you were there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls unto the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so when there is death, There's always life to righteousness. There's always life to healing. Romans 6, 11. So you you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. The meeting of your needs according to your sources and resources. Dead to sin. The meeting of your needs according to your sources and resources. And alive to God in Christ. Alive to allowing Christ to meet the needs in your life. Which fulfill his purposes for your life and for all mankind. This is what we live for. We live allowing Christ to meet the needs in our life which fulfill his purposes for our life and all mankind. Our humanity is not a shameful thing. Too long Christians have despised their humanity which contradicts the reality that our humanness was divinely directed by God himself. If our humanity is to be despised, then is not to the creator along with it. Love your frailty. Learn to love your frailty. Our frailties are different. All of us carry different frailties. These are the crosses that we bear, bear, the thorns that are in our flesh. Learn to love those things because God sovereignly formed you with them, formed me with them. Perhaps this reveals a deeper dynamic at play for many of us. Do we trust the God who created us with thirsts? Do we really trust that he did that flawlessly? See, in naming our thirst, we must acknowledge that our needs are real and we were made that way. God made us to need. And if the need isn't met, then we must acknowledge that somehow God is still good or we conclude he is not. And sometimes I think what happens is verbally we say God is good, but deep in our souls we start to build a case against him. And then we operate on our own. We start to operate independently of God. 
We store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal because we don't really believe he can take care of our physical needs. And so we, we, we begin to store small little fortunes and we tuck them away because we are fearful that what if we were to go without? Or we date somebody who's not a believer because over time we've begun to think, mm, he can't provide for this longing in me to have companionship, someone I can love forever and all time, and he hasn't provided in so long, so I think maybe I'll just do this little portion of my life on my own. Building a case. <clears throat> Building a case against a God who is good because he didn't provide in the way we thought he would. If the need isn't met, then we have to come to this conclusion that he is still good. And that means we have to flesh it out, work it out, and be honest. I have a need and it wasn't met. I was thirsty and he didn't give me vinegar on a sponge. And we've got to tell someone beside us and that hurts. Scripture says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And so we find healing in admitting the areas where we are meeting our own needs. Does that make sense? We find healing in admitting to someone else the areas in which we are meeting our own needs. When we think of sin, we think of bad things. Adultery or, you know, getting drunk, whatever. We think of of things that we could hold up and say, that's a bad thing. Sin is meeting our own needs. And so, if we want healing from that and freedom from that, we want to walk in fullness of life, want to walk in newness of life, want to walk in the new creation, the old that has passed away and the new that has come. We need to learn to be honest about the need itself and then whether or not we're source, where we're sourcing the meeting of that need from ourselves or from God. It's not easy work. The fruit of working through our needs in the presence of a Savior who says, I completed everything, is this. We let every unmet need die knowing that, 2 Timothy 2.11, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And we only want that to live, which is pleasing to God, fulfills his purpose, and brings him fame. So I'll say it again, the fruit of working through our needs in the presence of a Savior who says, I completed everything is this. We let every unmet need die knowing that if we have died with him, we will also live. Life comes from death. This is why Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why did he add that that prepositional phrase, by faith? That's important not to be ignored because the life that we live is not always seen it made most sense to get Jesus down from the cross. They taunted him and said, if you're really God, get down from there. And he could have. He can meet any need. He can do anything. He is omnipotent. He is entirely and utterly omnipotent. And therefore, when a need is not met, and this is this inconvenient reality that a Haitian will die of starvation and God is good. So it's a very inconvenient thing, isn't it? And yet, this is what we have to understand The life that we live, we live by faith that God is indeed good and that he is accomplishing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs earthly suffering. And that's exactly the case in Christ. He accomplished an eternal glory. There was great suffering. Great suffering. 
And so Paul said, the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who, what, loved me. And so I can live by faith, not in an evil God, but a God who loves. For God so loved that he gave, and a God who gives. And he says, for by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we can trust when we consider the source. We can trust when we consider the source. But we still live in the flesh, here and now, until he takes us home. And so we will still thirst. We will still thirst as humans. And so what I want for us to take out of this Easter season this year is this. To live a a perfectly human life is to acknowledge our needs. To acknowledge to one another in anticipation that there will be seasons when we need someone to meet our needs. We need someone to hand us a a hyssop branch with some vinegar on it. And we need to be willing to receive it. It's a call to authentic living. It's a call to honest living. Jesus was utterly vulnerable on the cross. There was no hiding that he was desperate as a human in that moment. There was nothing he could do for himself. And so Jesus calls us to that type of authenticity and vulnerability. This is not traditional Christianity anymore. It is biblical Christianity, but it is not traditional. Traditional Christianity would be suck it up, be a good Christian, and take care of yourself. God has called us to live in community. And I would say this to you and submit it to you boldly, but, uh, and it, frankly, let me just say that, boldly and frankly. You cannot live in Christian community if you are not a part of Christian community. The body of Christ is important. Scripture says we're members of one another. But we're going to take a look in coming days, I believe, at um, what it means to be a part of the church and what is the biblical expectation of believers in association with church and Christian community. Because I think that um, I think that we may be drifting from that in evangelical Christianity right now drifting from the original intent that God gave to us. And so that's, I think, where we're going to head for the next few weeks as the Lord leads. But today, Jesus said, I thirst. And so if he's able to say, I thirst, I think we are too as humans. And so I want to encourage you, acknowledge your needs. And maybe you're the one that's fortunate enough to be handing up the, the drink to a suffering Savior There's certainly seasons in our lives when that's the reality. But there are other seasons when we thirst. And we want to create a climate where it's okay to acknowledge that thirst. Because if it was good enough for Jesus Christ on the cross, accomplishing the greatest act of all time by a single human being, then certainly it is good enough for us. His last act was a receiving act. Don't be afraid to receive, remembering ultimately the source is God.